chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I'll be reading verses 25 through 34. Acts 16, 25 through 34. <clears throat> About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Blessed is the reading of God's holy word to our souls, to our minds, to our hearts, the gospel of our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the profundity, the depth, and the simpleness of the message of the good news of Jesus Christ who saves souls that even a child can grasp it. You are good. Let your gospel sing in our hearts to the glory of Jesus this morning. Amen. There is no more important question than the one posed in our passage by the jailer. I mean for every human being on earth today, there is no more important question than the question, what must I do in order to be saved? I did not ask whether there are people who feel there are more important questions than this one. I mean, obviously there are. There, there are many people who walk around planning their lives while successfully avoiding this question. To them, 
The most important questions are, how can I get a boyfriend? Or how can I get a girlfriend? Or whom shall I marry? Or where shall I go to college? What shall I study? What shall I do with my life? How can I get a job? How can I save for retirement? How can I be a better husband or a better wife or a better parent? Most of those are important questions, but that's not what I asked. I asked, is there any question that is more important than the question, what must I do in order to be saved? Now, last week, I held off from dealing with that question, which is right there in the text over these last couple weeks, because that question, along with the answer that is given, are so huge and central. It is the most important question to have answered by every person in this room and in all the world. And so that's my sermon. Those are the two main points. The first main point is the question. And the second main point is the answer that's given. And so, to the first, the most crucial and by far important question is, how can I be saved? The question that is so crucial for any of us to ask is not, how can a person be saved? Mm -mm. The most important question is to ask, how can I be saved? And there's a difference. In other words, this is not just an academic question about Christian doctrine. It's a very personal question to a soul who is overcome with his or her need to somehow be delivered or, or saved from God. And thus somehow made right with God. And so let, let's go to the passage. Let's go to the man who asked the question. The jailer, it's after midnight. He was awakened by a very large earthquake. We Californians know what that can feel like. Even a month ago, we had a couple of them. And this one was probably bigger. And those were 7.2 or something like that. So big that... He had to run to the jail, and as he got there, his worst fears were realized. 
That earthquake popped the jail cell doors open and he assumed thus all the prisoners had escaped and he grabbed his sword and he's about ready to kill himself because he's going to die anyway. He will be put to death, but he will first be tortured to death. So he wants to end it quickly and all of a sudden he hears a loud voice crying out from the dark from one of the cells, don't harm yourself. Look, no, 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 we're all here. And so he called for the other guards to come rushing in with their torches. And he saw that it was true. And he went to one of the cells and he fell down on his face before Paul and Silas in stunned awe. Now, the jailer, he already intellectually knew something about these guys and why they're there and they've been there in town for probably at least a week and hearing this demon-possessed girl keep advertising. He knew that these Jews were preaching about the God of the Jewish people and their scripture, that there's salvation to be had. He, he kind of knew that's kind of what they're about. They, he had that in their minds. But now these events have led this man to a personal crisis which caused him to come to terms with God for himself. And that's why the question that he asked is in the first person. He knows he needs to come to terms with this God that Paul and Silas are talking about. And so, after he brings Paul and Silas out of the prison and over to his house, he asked the question. But not just that. He asked the question in the most serious and urgent way. I mean, he knew he was just about to die and kill himself. And now, by God's grace, he asks, How can I? Oh, you can feel him feeling his sin, his guilt, the things he has done. How? Can I be saved, sirs? Think about what happened. God awakened. He awakened this man from his spiritual sleep, not just his real sleep, which he did with the earthquake. He awakened him from his spiritual sleep to reality. And that's why he sincerely asked the question. And that there, it actually points to the reality of others who are nowhere there seriously asking the question. Those who remain unsaved and they don't realize their real need of being rescued from some terrible future. 
And, and because they don't realize it, that's how they go along day by day and month after month and year after year in their lives pursuing all kinds of things, money making, uh, more toys, whatever makes life enjoyable, comfortable, tolerable on their way to certain death and a judgment that is to come because they're not where the jailer is now. They're where the jailer was. But whether, whether those people feel it or not, there is a holy God who created them and in front of whom they will stand and give an account of their lives. As the New Testament declares, Paul said, every single one of us have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of our sin, what our sin has earned us, the paycheck is coming. The wages of our sin is death. But then those words. But the free gift from God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so this, this big question is not just a question all should ask. It is an urgent question. Because every single one of us in this room, no matter how young or how old we are, every one of us, is just a breath away from eternity. In fact, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of souls have fallen into eternal ruin just over the last four or five weeks because they did not ask this question in time. Jesus himself, he told the story of a man who was unsaved and then died. And the man sees a saved man, Abraham, on the other side of a chasm. And Jesus says, the man said, quote, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, to send him Lazarus to my father's house there on earth. Because I have five brothers. Send Lazarus so that Lazarus may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. Jesus said this. But Abraham said to him, they have the Bible they have Moses and they have the prophets. 
Let them hear them. You know, I think if, if there were, this is a theoretical question, if there were any genuine love inside of the departed damned, they would want to send the message to mortals living on earth today. Ask the question. And ask it sincerely and do it now. They would warn. Nothing else matters. When you stand before God, after mortal death. When you stand before the Holy Righteous One who made you, nothing else matters. Now don't mishear what I said. There is a lot of stuff that matter. Money making, it, it matters in order to eat, in order to have a bed and a roof, to live, matters. But the love of money can distract from the most urgent matter in everyone's life. Health, health matters. I mean, the older many of us get, the more we even think about that. I should maybe work out more, and I should lose weight, and I should eat more healthily, and maybe it will add another two or five or ten or years to our lives. Those are numbers of more years we can see our grandchildren whom we're holding right now, and that's a desirable thing. And okay, that matters, but it will not do us any good when we stand before the righteous judge of the universe. And here's, here's just one more distracting thing from this most crucial question. You can spend your years in religion, you can spend your years purposely piling up good deeds to your neighbor. But on judgment day, they will all be burned up. If you have not asked this question and found the only answer and come to it. Because no sinner, no matter how many good deeds, you won't be punished for good deeds. I don't care if you murdered someone back in 1969 and they find you Today, well, I don't know. There's no statute of limitations on murder, is there? Okay. But he's been so great, right? But you're guilty. If the evidence is there and they find you. No sinner can be saved by the law of Moses. The only thing that will matter on that day to which we are all headed is this. Are you saved? Have you been reconciled? 
to God. And here's one, one other thing to notice here in our text. The jailer, he asked the question very personally. What must I do to be saved? Now he's sitting there with his family and whoever else is part of his household maybe owns a few slaves. I don't know, but they're, they're all there. And he asks, God, how can I be saved? And Paul and Silas answered, Sir, you and, and, and all, all of you here in this house, all of you can be saved by placing your trust in the Lord Jesus. This is answer. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And so we have seen, first point, the most urgent question in the world is to ask, how can I be saved? And that turns us now to the second point, the answer. Because it comes with a simple answer. It's not simplistic, but it is simple. If each of you, sir, your wife, your kids, your slaves, if each of you here will believe in Jesus, then each of you will be saved. And that's true for every single one of us in this room. We all must personally come to this question and want the answer. In my own life, I know personally many, many people, acquaintances, friends, family members who have never genuinely asked that question. Don't be one. Don't be one. The biblical answer to the question, how can I be saved, is right there. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. That simple answer drastically differs from all the religions of the world. To which, to one extent or another, they offer complex plans on how one can work their way to some better future life of heaven or nirvana into nothingness or lack of pain, but they're all complex systems. We got a lot for you to do. Follow the system. And with that, there are all kinds of voices in our age, in our culture today, like the Oprah Winfrey's, that say, essentially, what is all this lingo about being saved? There's nothing to really be saved from. God loves everybody. He would never condemn people. And so the key to life is, is to just... Try to be better. And 
And then you'll have nothing to fear. That's their answer. That is not the answer of the New Testament. It's not the answer that Paul and Silas gave. Their answer was concise and simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved. So now, as simple as their statement was, let's slow it down and think about the implications of those words. First, the verb that is translated, you will be saved. It's really one verb in the Greek. That is a passive voice verb. Grammar lesson again. It's not an active voice verb. An active voice is the subject of the verb does the action of the verb. Like, I hit the ball. Okay, This is a passive voice, which means the subject is being acted upon by another. Meaning... You will be saved. You will be saved, implied by someone else. In other words, you do not save yourself. If you believe the message of Jesus, that's what happens to you, according to the answer to this question. The Savior saves you. And secondly... Notice, their answer is a matter of believing, not doing in the sense of work. Not, in other words, not in the sense of, oh yeah, this is what you do. We got, we, got a, we got a whole system that you are to now work your way through satisfactorily and you will eventually be saved. It's not their answer. Their answer is, just believe in the Lord Jesus. Just listen to Paul's words from Romans 4, 4 to 5 for a moment. We folds believing versus working for it. Paul writes, now to the one who works, Well, his wages, yeah, you earned it. It's a paycheck. You get wages from that, and they owe you. Well, to to the one who works, his wages, they're not counted as grace, but as what is due to him or her. And to the one who does not work, but, counter to that, does something else, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Saving faith is a ceasing from our own efforts to save ourselves and instead to trusting in another. In the Lord 
Jesus to save us. Now, okay. what, does it, what does it mean to believe? They use the verb there, believe. That, that's an action that a human being is doing. What does that mean? Well, a friend of mine from my softball team, actually just this past Monday night, we usually hang out for an hour. Hannah always tells me, longer than that, Dad. And we talk about stuff in life. And he asked me this last Monday night, what do you think about uh, this idea of mine? I want just, just want to know, you know, he always, because you know, he knows I'm a pastor, and so yeah, I, I know you know everything, and it's like, I don't even respond to it, but... <laughs> So he's, what do you think about this idea that faith, it's not really like just believing, you know, that something's true. I believe that truth over there. But, but that it's more like, a, it's like trusting in someone, trusting person or, or their word. And so I said, Doug, that's not just a novel idea that you came up with. But that is, at its core, what faith, what to believe means in the New Testament. And then, of course, I went on to give him a very long-winded unfolding of what I meant by that. And he always lets me know that I do that. So. But I'll try to make it much shorter here with a different illustration that I did not give him. And that's it. Sonia and I are going to get on a plane in the next two or three hours and fly to Nashville. We can say that we believe that an airplane can fly safely from here to there. Okay? But that kind of belief alone will not get us to Nashville. To get to Nashville, we have to commit our lives to the plane. We have to trust. We, we have to trust that they put enough fuel in the plane. We have to trust in the expertise of the pilots and that they're not going to get on the plane drunk. We have to trust that the mechanics have done their maintenance job like they're supposed to do, etc., Believing in the Lord Jesus in order to fly safely to salvation. It's like that. Now, you do. You first, you have to be aware of knowledge. Now, you got to have knowledge. Yeah, planes exist. And, and, and they can take you from one location thousand miles away to another within a few hours. You got, so you got that knowledge. You got to have that. Oh, and that's the knowledge you got to have of the gospel. You got to know something. But it's not enough. And secondly, you have to, okay, now that I hear what you're saying about airplanes, oh, I agree with that. Yes, I believe that, that these big old metal things can get in the air and fly over there through thrust and lift, and then land safely at their destination. Oh yeah, I agree with that. Still not going to get there. Intellectual agreement and assent to truths that are offered to us will not get us to Nashville. 
because we have to get on the plane to get there. An intellectual assent to the gospel, agreement with the gospel, is not sufficient to save a person. A person must commit their lives. In other words, trust their lives to the airplane, to the Lord Jesus is your only hope for true and unending happiness through the salvation of your soul. The salvation of your soul, which means he alone can bring what I so desperately need. Absolute freedom from legality and my guilt. Freedom from judicial guilt of my sins. Absolution. Pardon forever and ever. And a trust in the promises of the future eternal life in the resurrection that he, Jesus said, is laid up for me. That's getting on the plane. That's believing. Our minds and our hearts and our lives. They knows it's true. And we bank everything on Him. Just as much as we bank our very mortal lives by jumping on an airplane. Trusting. It'll get us there. But Jesus will never crash. When we come alive to that faith, that faith in Jesus, that believe in the Lord Jesus, then it's not a matter of maybe you will be saved. This text says you will be saved. At the very moment you come alive by the Holy Spirit to believing in Jesus, embracing Him, loving Him, you are instantly saved. Just think about the jailer. The jailer has no church background, no church experience, no Judaism experience, no Bible reading experience. And yet, within hours, in the middle of the night... Heard the gospel, he believed it, and he was saved. And one more thing to see in our text, and that's this the believing. I'm, a, I'm all on the board, I jump on the airplane. That believing must be. In the right object. You can believe genuinely all kinds of things and be doomed. You won't get to where you think you're going. You just picture okay, someone who's ignorant enough in our day and age to see an airplane fuselage and wings over there and the doors are open and it is filled with passenger seats and they say I believe that's going to get me to Nashville Tennessee and they walk onto the plane and they want to get to Nashville 
The only problem is they failed to notice that that thing had no engines on it. It's not going anywhere as much as they believe in their ignorance that it would get them there. Paul, in other words, did not say, just believe and you will be saved. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What does that mean? Now, one thing it did not mean was, don't, don't worry about who Jesus is or anything. Or Jesus. You hear the syllables? Can you say that with me, sir? Or he would have done it in Greek. Jesus. Okay, just, just, just believe what I'm telling you just about the sounds of those words. You know, just ask Jesus to come in your heart. But who is it? Don't worry about who he is. Just ask him and he'll come into your heart. It's not what happened that night. You see, because, because this jailer and his family members knew almost nothing about the Old Testament prophecies of the Son of David, of a Messiah, of a Savior. Because he knew almost nothing about the historical figure who was killed on a Roman cross about 20 years earlier. He knew nothing about the meaning of Jesus' death and His bodily resurrection with eyewitness testimonies. Because of that, Paul and Silas went on and on and on that night teaching and preaching and unfolding these truths to them. Verse 31-32. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and every one of you here. That's what he means. You and, and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Who knows, an hour, two hours, they spoke and unfolded, unpacked. That's how people get saved. Through hearing the Word of God, as Paul said in Romans 10, you can't be saved if you don't believe, if you don't have faith. And Paul told us, faith comes to you through hearing and hearing through the Word about Christ. About the Jesus that you must place your faith in. Faith is only as good as its object. To believe unto salvation, a person must have some basic understanding of who Jesus is, what He did on the cross, that He was resurrected to immortal life as a human being from the dead with numerous eyewitness accounts of it. That knowledge that they got to have is the knowledge of the Word of God. It's, it is the knowledge that is the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I ask you, 
Do you believe in the Lord Jesus? I mean, do you believe so that you cannot help but walk onto that airplane and entrust your life and your eternity to Jesus? If so, if that's you, then by means of that faith, you have been saved. Totally forgiven of all of your sins in the past, in the present, and in the future. Jesus in His human perfection and perfect righteousness has been placed to your account before the courtroom of heaven already and forever. And at the future judgment day to where we are all going. That is a glorious, no wonder gospel means good news. The jailer, he asked the question, and he got the answer. And his life was changed forever. For time and for eternity. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he, the jailer, took Paul and Silas the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. Then he brought Paul and Silas up into his house and set food before them. And the jailer he rejoiced along with his entire household that he, in other words, I believe in God through the Lord Jesus my Savior. He rejoiced. He went from ready to commit suicide and to plunge into sealed guilt upon his soul forever to becoming a Christian, to rejoicing within hours because he heard the word of God. There is no more important question in all the world that every soul in this room must ask. Then the question, how can I be saved? And there is only one answer. 
There's only one answer to being delivered from our guilt and our sin and our punishment. There's only one answer and one way to eternal, everlasting happiness in God. And that is, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son that you have sent him. You didn't spare his life, you sent him to be slaughtered because of our sin, to bear our sin, to take our deserved punishment so that all who will believe in Him will not have to. And Lord Jesus, You willingly went to that cross. And we know that justification is ours now. We know it. For You have conquered death. Your sacrifice was satisfactory. You were raised from the dead for our justification. We love you. Oh, we love you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you. And may, may our words and our song be sweet to you our Savior as we close this morning. Amen and amen.